Hello and welcome to Fact Schmacks, the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name is Matt. I've got a story to tell. And my name is Kev. I have a story to interrupt. All right. We're getting way better at that. I mean, way yeah. better. Can nope, we say way bad. better? Not M- bad. Much, much better. Uh huh. And my favorite bit is just commenting it on it, commenting on it every time. Yeah, because we're right. the only people who uh, are going to give us any kind of praise in this racket here. So we might as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a little game for you today, Matt. But before we do that, uh-huh. uh huh. Just want to let everybody know we've got some social media presence. So check us out on Facebook at Schmacks. Twitter at Pod, and we also have a website with a little bios on the hosts if you want to see our ugly mugs, and that's factschmack.xyz. So, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I think you mentioned presents off the hop there. Are we giving away presents? Oh, no, no. Our presence is the present. Okay. Our okay. presence is yeah. present enough. Yes. Yeah. So we got a little game for you, Matt. Uh, the All old right. fact schmacked game. So excited. Um, you won last time, so you're coming off a heater yeah. here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to I'm hoping to get a hat trick. So this is my uh my push. This is number two in a row here. Yeah. So you and I we both have some dogs. You know? Uh-huh. I have one, you have two, which I, I don't know how you manage. Um, there are a lot. Uh yeah, I get barked at a lot. Yeah. Love them dearly. <laughs> what do you know about dogs? Oh, no, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, I, right. Well, I've I've had, you know, three dogs in total, so I'm a seasoned dog owner at this point. So let's test your knowledge here, Matt. All right. Can't wait, Kevin. I'm sure you've watched your dog take a deuce. Yep. You ever notice when they're done taking the deuce, they kick back a little bit? I have noticed feet. that. Now, do you know why they do that? Um, I would guess maybe to to try and cover it okay to try and like cover their tracks that's my guess without Interesting. without knowing specifically okay so dogs do that uh to mark their territory using oh so the scent, opposite using scent glands in their paws oh okay okay yeah okay i do know about the scent glands in the paws that's that's why they sometimes like scratch at your bed before they lay down they're trying to make it smell like them yeah, great. And <laughs> dirty nachos. Their paws, yeah, their paws smell like Fritos. Yeah, dirty nachos. I always say my dog <laughs> smells like dirty nachos. Dumpster nachos, I call her sometimes. Fritos. It's yeah. exactly like Fritos. Yeah, so we'll Frito never fan. have Fritos as a sponsor now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Matt. Um, <clears throat> all right, so our next fact is um, dogs can't see color. Um, okay. I don't think that's true. I think dogs only see one color. They're like monochrome, but it is a color. Is that what you so think? Is that, that your... That's that's my theory going in, but I'm going to wait until this third fact to really make up my mind here. All right, so that's your final answer on that one. No, that's not a final answer at all. No, that's definitely <laughs> final answer. Now, this one is, uh, <laughs> you'll like this. The term dog days has nothing to do with dogs. It dates back okay. to Roman times when it was believed that Sirius, the dog star, added its heat to the sun, creating exponentially high 
temperatures. Sorry, exceptionally high temperatures. Huh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> so which is it, Matt? Oh, okay. So I... I've never heard of that last one, and I do know a thing or two about Rome, and I do know a thing or two about their superstitions. On the other hand, they have 10 million superstitions, and they're all ridiculous, uh, you know, from our from our standpoint. No, I, yeah, I guess it is a superstition. It was a belief. Or, or lore or whatnot. The first one I believe to be true. Definitely. I've heard about the foot thing. Um you know, my first guess about them maybe trying to to mask it, I, yeah, that doesn't make sense because they do use scent to to mark their territory. So why wouldn't they? The second one um, about uh, you'll have to remind me what the second one was. About uh, not being able to see color. Not being able to see color. Yeah, I mean that's that's really going to be dependent on your definition. I've heard that calling them colorblind is not really correct. They, it's more monochrome. They see in like one color, almost like the predator or something. Well, that's <laughs> nice. like infrared. Yeah, um, and uh, and then the last one I just have never heard of. So I'm gonna guess it's the last one is not true. Ha <laughs> I win again. Did you? Yeah. Oh, well, you... I mean, I mean, like with without digging into the whole thing uh that's you know the actual fact that i looked up um so as far as i'm concerned and for the you know, for the game that is a fact okay so then which one was the the schmack is that dogs can't see color humans are uh they have trichromatic receptors in their eyes Dogs have bichromatic receptors in their eyes, so they can see most colors. Uh, they just generally tend to mix up red and green, from what I read. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I All wanted right. to do the whole uh, uh, the whole Shaun of the Dead thing, Dogs Can't Look Up. Do you remember that in that movie? Yeah, but I would have known. <laughs> like, I, I sit and watch my dogs look at squirrels and trees all day. I know damn well they could look up. <laughs> Uh, I don't think they look at the sky as a matter of habit, but they definitely can look in trees, and they do all the time. Yeah, uh, it's pretty dead giveaway. It's just it always makes me laugh when I think of that. <laughs> I think I need to turn my mic down a sec. I'm a smidge here. Hang on. Seeing some clipping on my end. Um, so for our 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 next little segment here, that I'm gonna call Matt's musings. Uh, currently, wow. uh, we're. I want to talk about the fastest man-made objects. This is something that's that's a lot more recent, a little more sciency. Um, go through a list of like things that we have built that are very fast. Like the fastest plane in the world right now is is I think the the NASA X forty three. At least that anyone knows about. I, I hope this is the fastest segment. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> that was savage. Because <laughs> it goes about seven thousand miles per hour. Uh, the space shuttle. Uh, it goes about 17,500 miles per hour. That's about escape velocity of the Earth. Uh, Voyager 1, uh, which is one of the things that's traveling outside the solar system, it's going about 38,610. The fastest and second fastest, at least theoretically, things that we've ever sent out into the world 
is the Juno satellite went over 160,000 miles per hour when it was going around Jupiter. Damn, that's uh, fast. Seems, that's real fast, right? And the Helio satellite goes around the sun. It got up to about 157,000 miles per hour. Very fast. Wow. But number three could be number one because it's a really interesting object. There was a, an experiment called Operation Plumbob, and what it was was a nuclear explosion underground. It was done by the U.S. military, and they were, you know, testing the effects of blowing nuclear bombs up underground, I guess, what happens on the surface. But the way they designed this experiment is they had a long tube, and then the, the bomb is in like a chamber underneath. Uh, the bottom of this tube is sealed with cement, and then the top of this tube had uh, a four-inch iron manhole cover on it. And then looking at this manhole cover was a high-speed camera that was capturing uh, about one frame, well, no, exactly one frame per millisecond, just trained on this uh uh, manhole cover to see what happens. It's like not looking directly at it. It's looking at like the area around right. the manhole cover, yeah. right? So they blow up the bomb. The cement at the bottom of the tube immediately vaporizes and turns into gas and starts shooting up the tube. And it blew that manhole cover off. When they looked at the, the footage... The high-speed camera caught one frame of the manhole cover as it blasted off into space. Wow. Uh, they don't know exactly how fast it was going. So we we can kind of use the footage that we have and put a lower bound on it. And the lower bound was about 125,000 miles per hour, about six times uh, escape velocity. Jesus. The, the manhole cover itself probably vaporized uh, once it hit the atmosphere, but maybe not. You know, maybe there's a manhole cover floating around in space. If that's the case, it probably would have left the, uh, the solar system at this point. Uh, it was going at, uh, or that was launched in 1957, um, or this incident happened in 1957. So who knows? Maybe that was the fastest thing to have ever, uh, we've ever done. Uh, ever launched anywhere maybe not what was the first uh, thing to go to space like it was a like a v1 rocket did that go to space or like when did sputnik go yeah i don't know if sputnik was the first thing to actually reach space or if that was just the first thing to achieve any sort of stable orbit i think it was the first thing Uh, yeah i don't know that's a great that's a really great question kevin yeah let's (laughs) follow that up for maybe next (laughs) Uh, but that's yeah. it would be interesting to think that maybe a manhole cover is the first thing that humans put into orbit or orbit like into space. Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know when Sputnik. Uh... Mm-hmm. But yeah, you now, would think almost a friction of the in, uh, the atmosphere would burn this thing up. I mean, that thing's flying. And right? that's that is the the prevailing theory is that it it burned up when it hit the atmosphere. Some people think maybe it was going too fast to burn up entirely, but it probably did burn up. It probably didn't make it out of the atmosphere, but it's fun to think that maybe it could have. Wow. But you think the further up it goes, the less atmospheric resistance it has. So if it made it out of the lower part of the atmosphere, it's getting better. 
Yeah, and, and it also would depend at what kind of angle it's going at, right? Like we, you know, when we launch things, we do it from the equator and we do it at an angle that's very favorable to surviving. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's better and worse angles to approach the atmosphere at, right? For sure, yeah. They don't, rockets don't go straight up. They go, um, they use the curvature of the Earth and the Earth's rotation to gain that extra bit of speed for um, yeah. their orbit velocity, which is actually uh, essentially just falling. Around the and earth. outrunning, yeah, yeah. And outrunning the ground. Yeah, <laughs> totally fascinating. I've always loved uh, orbital mechanics. Uh, you ever play Kerbal Space Program? No, but I, I have. Bloody. I did um, Stars for Stoners in college or university, and uh, one of the things you got to play around with is this. Uh, uh, I think it's Newton's Cannon um, example where you're just like firing a just a little program, but you're basically just like firing a program uh, or this little cannon off the side of the Earth and like. You know, if you fire it hard enough, it just starts falling, and it's a really neat visualization of how that, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, if you ever see... I'm sure uh, you can find it online. Yeah, if you ever see KSP on Steam, it goes on sale for like 10 bucks. Totally worth a pickup. Yeah. But uh, you have a story for us. I sure do. Boy, um, let's and go. This is, uh, this is a rare occasion where we're going to be kind of picking up the story from where we left off. We're doing uh, with, a sequel episode? Sort of. It's not really about Darius anymore. He's He did a whole bunch of stuff. But what we're going to be talking about... Uh, well, yeah, I'm just going to kind of go through the story, and then we'll see what we talked about as we get to the end of this. It's going to be one of these. Can I just add a disclaimer? Yeah. Is that uh, with the exception of Star Wars, usually the second episode is the greatest. You, well, I guess it's the third episode of a trilogy, which is not the greatest, but sequels have never really lived up to their originals. So I, for one, am just going to put my doubts out front and center here. That Let's hope we're the aliens and not the... Uh... <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, not the, I don't know, Jurassic Park 2, let's just say. Pick on the Lost World, why not? Okay. Um, so Darius, the guy who, who we left uh, at the end, he did one thing... Uh, well, he did a lot of things, but one thing that he did do was uh, stick his of... hand in a horse's hoo ha. <laughs> no, that wasn't him. That was his. Oh. That wasn't <laughs> that Darius. Was his... Man, was no, I it was paying his... attention? It was his guy. It was the sneaky horse tender. <laughs> oh, who did that? The sneaky horse tender. That's right. Yeah. So one thing he did do though was get involved in a fight with Greece, um, which culminated in an event called the Battle of Marathon in 490 BCE. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, no, but I have been in a fight with Greece the last time I cooked bacon, and it won. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like two famous things that come out of this battle. Uh, it was Sparta versus Athens. Um, there's this uh, uh, guy, um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. Phidipides, uh, maybe? Uh, but he oh, supposedly. Yeah, I know about him. He ran from Athens to Sparta, which was about a 225 kilometer uh, run to try and get help. Um, he took some breaks, I'm sure. He had to have, right? Nobody can yeah. run that. Yeah, no. Um, I don't even think they got the help from Sparta, actually. Uh, I wonder if they had, like, guys set up, like, along the road to hand him cups of water. 
Well, because because that's what marathons are named after. Was this uh, was this event? Oh, did I ruin your whole show again? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <All right. laughs> no, but you actually reminded me that that yeah, that's what I was actually talking about. How yeah, that 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 battle is is famous. Uh, it's named after that. So one thing that happened is the Greeks or the Persians invaded Greece uh, on kind of one side of the uh, of the peninsula there, um, or island, peninsula. It's a peninsula. Mm. Island? Be oh, minus. boy. We're dipping into geography here. Geography is not my strong suit. <laughs> Way better with what, history than geography. What is at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Audience can't see, but I'm really tugging on my collar here. <laughs> I, I can see, and I will verify that. I'm getting pretty nervous. So the, the, the Persians invade on one side of Greece, and the Greeks win. Uh, and then they, they, the Persians get back in their boats and they, they try to basically sail around to the other side and invade from the other side. And the Greeks get from their side on foot to the other side so fast that they're already there. So just general on-foot quickness is what this battle is known for. Um, another it thing the Battle known of Marathon? For... Yeah, it is. Because okay. it took place in Marathon. And okay. Yeah. It's the Battle okay. of Marathon. Yeah. Took place in 490, yeah, BCE. Does it have anything um, to do with the Olympics? Maybe the marathon was a, an event at the Olympics after that. I don't know. Sorry, Great. I'm, I'm really asking a lot of questions today. <laughs> you really I'm are. A, You're very... <laughs> I'm a curious guy, okay? Inquiring minds a... need to know. <laughs> so the Greeks do win this war, though, which is really interesting because Persia shows up with this absolutely enormous empire, this huge amount of troops, and they can't get the job done in Greece. And one of the reasons that they can't do that, and this is a really interesting time in history where you've got this sort of clash of civilizations that's happened. You have the Persians who have been fighting other people in their own region for as long as they can remember, and they've developed this style of fighting that's really based around having archers. They're some of the best archers in the world at this point. They're probably the best archers. Well, debatable, but they're, their army is largely composed of people with very thin armor and a lot of, uh, you know, a bow and a lot of arrows. And their theory is nobody's going to get to us. You know, you're going to take so many casualties just trying to cross the distance between between there and here that there's going to be nothing left. We can just mop up with knives and, and swords and our light armor, whatever's left. Yeah, basically decimate the army on the field before it even gets to your front line, guys. Yeah, if this was, you know, boats, it would be, you know, you've sacrificed all of your armor for speed and firepower. That was their bet. Well... The Greeks had also been doing a lot of fighting with, with other Greeks, but they had developed this kind of weapon system or, or culture where they really relied on short swords, you know, the gladius, and very heavy armor. And so what happened when these two civilizations clashed is it turns out that having really heavy armor is going to be a really good way to deal with people who kind of only have bows because the Greeks were able to make it to the Persian archers and when they did it was very bad for the Persians uh, they would just kind of get up there and chop them up um, that's got to be like yeah you know like I, I don't think any warfare is good warfare but 
thinking of doing yeah. that, like just you're right in there, swords are swinging around. Like, what about like even your buddy beside you, his backswing? Like, it's like standing near somebody when they're golfing. Yeah. Like, there's just shit. Oh, I did that once. So I got hit in the, uh, yeah, I got hit in the eye. It was really, it hurt. <laughs> I was a kid. So luckily the guy wasn't uh, swinging too hard. Man, the kid I, wasn't. I, a side story. I went uh, with my dad to the driving range because he's always tried to yeah. teach me to golf. Yeah. yeah this, he has a nice set of clubs. And yeah, I'll use my driver. I think it was my fourth swing. I just broke that driver. Yeah. I hit the ground and I and I was worried because there was a kid on the tee beside me and I almost smoked him with it and I was like, all right, I'm done golfing, no more. Yeah. So, much like golf, uh, yeah, like this is horrifying in there. There's blades everywhere. Yes. Yes. It's like running through uh, a tree chipper. Yeah. So the Greeks won, and a large reason that they won is because again they because they're so heavily fortified and because they did that uh, hoplite thing where they get in the like you know turtle shell formation uh, and kind of you know guard every side shell. they can yeah they can they can survive this uh this barrage of arrows so Darius leaves disappointed um always plans on going back but he dies his son is a guy named Xerxes and 10 years later Xerxes tries invading Greece again this time the battle of Thermopylae is the the result you've seen the movie you know mm-hmm. what happens Yep. 300 Spartans face off against this enormous Persian army. Gerard um, Butler uh, has photoshopped abs. Yes. Gerard Butler, thing, isn't it? Gerard. Gerard, Gerard Butler, he's yeah. in that movie, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's the king. One thing that uh, I want to say about, about Spartans, we know how they talked, like the style that they talked in, because there's a word for it. The word is laconic. And when someone is laconic, they're like, they're, they're very pithy. They don't use a lot of words to get their point across. Um, that, that word comes from Lacedaemonians. So, um, for example, I think in the, the, from the Battle of Thermopylae, there's a, there's a quote. I should have looked up what the Greek was, but I would have, actually, I would have, but, I would have butchered it, right? This is not the show for that. Yeah. Um, but they... You know, the, the the Persians do what they always did is they send an envoy and says, you know, put down your weapons. Uh, you know, you're going to be part of, of Persia Inc. It's going to be great for you. And the response from the, the Spartans is come and take them. They're the first people, you know, in recorded history to use that line. Uh, it's actually still the Greek military motto is come and take them. Uh, it's great. It's just totally badass. So they do this standoff against the Greeks. They ultimately lose, or against the, the Persians. They ultimately lose. Persia does um, invade Greece, but they're quickly driven back. The Greeks win that war too. So this kind of awkward standstill um, or, you know, happens for about 100 years. About 100 years later, Philip II of, of uh, Macedon conquers Greece and in one of these uh one of these battles we have another moment of how awesome Spartan speech was even if it was kind of for a losing cause because while Philip II is taking over Greece you know he's he's sending envoys to the Spartans and he has this list of demands if you don't do this then this is going to happen if you don't do that then that's going to happen if 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 and the message he gets back from the Spartans was just if 
<laughs> so great. So gangster. <laughs> so gangster. So when you talk about the Spartans, the Spartans were like a they were like a Greek kind of city state. Yeah, and very um, militarily. Yeah, um, they trained their yeah. guys like from super young. Like you were basically in our version of cadets, which was just a way to kill. Yeah, and it turns out they were like the baddest asses in Greece until uh, the Macedonians conquered Greece. Turns out they were the baddest asses in Greece. Philip II is the guy who did that, and then he wanted to go and conquer Persia. That was his big plan, but he died, you know, as they did. He has a son named Alexander, uh, and this uh, this kid Alexander goes on and does what his dad wants to do. He he marches his ass east, and he conquers everything that he encounters. Uh, who I think it is? This is who you think it is. It's okay. Alexander the Great. Oh, wow. Uh, who's getting very short shrift in this story, because uh, I actually don't know a whole lot about him. I'm just Shocking. Yeah, he's one of those guys I really want to do a lot of research on. But um, not today. But not on this day, no, my friend. Uh, he marches east until his rampant, unchecked alcoholism kills him. Oh, God, that's, it's not going to get us all. Yeah. <laughs> that's the the kind of modern consensus on what happened to him. They were famous for drinking, and he was famous for drinking in a culture that was famous for drinking. A lot of keg stands. A lot of... Yeah, they regularly had the sort of drinking parties where people died during these drinking parties. God. So or when It died. was a different... Yeah, it was a different time, man. Um, so he dies, and in the immediate aftermath of him dying, this new giant empire that he's created immediately falls into civil war, and uh, there's three kind of major players that come out of it. There's like kind of this core Macedonian empire left. There's now what's called the Seleucid, Seleucid Persian Empire, and then there is uh, uh, Ptolemaic Egypt. Uh, which are kind of the, the three pieces that are left. But there's also this tiny, teeny, tiny little kingdom called Epirus. Uh, that's kind of uh, the, the, the eastern, um, or sorry, the western part of Greece, kind of right where the, the heel of Italy's boot is. If you just kind of go east from there, okay. that's where, yeah. So this is, you know, around... Uh, two, 295 BC at this point, you know, we're, we're, yeah. This guy named Pyrrhus takes the throne in Epirus. He's known as Pyrrhus of Epirus. He's known <laughs> as... <laughs> That's a terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Pyrrhus of Epirus. Pyrrhus of Epirus. Um, uh, he's kind of, he's known as a very skillful general. He's one of these guys who, because he's... He's born right in the middle of this post-Alexandrian uh, time where there's the civil war going on to, to kind of decide how this thing's going to get carved up. So he's he's had to fight early and often in his life, and he's known as a very, very good general. And, oh, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to ask, I, I just wanted to tie basically all our episodes together. Uh, so we're talking about the time immediately after Alexander the Great. Yes. Uh, which is around the time of Julius Caesar. No. No, I thought... No, no that's right. Not it's even From close. the story of... Uh, no, wait. Yeah. From the story, it was Alexandria was... I knew... Named I knew after Ptolemy. Or, yeah, named after, after okay. Alexander. Yeah. I knew he came up in our first show, and I was like, wait no, a minute. It, 
where we are in in Roman history right now is pretty much right after um, this, where it got sacked by the Gauls, and the they've kind of rebuilt. Yeah, the Gaul of those Gauls. Gaul. All right, yeah. So let's let's stay on track here. Yeah, uh, that's my bad. I'm sorry. There's there has often been a little bit of a historical argument about what would have happened if Alexander. Instead of, you know, because the the Greeks had been so involved with the Persians for so long, if Alexander hadn't charged uh, uh, east, if he had gone west and gone through Italy and gone through, you know, Spain, if he had, uh, in France, and would he have been able to do that? And what, how different would history have have looked? Uh, You can say that about a lot of things. Like, what if Hitler didn't attack Stalin? I mean, we might all be speaking... Could be. Could be. I mean, he had, when you look at the height of his control over Europe. I think we'd I mean, probably be fine in, in Fortress North America, but yeah, you know, yeah. that's, uh, a that's lot an of interesting. Uh huh. Well, yeah, we get it. We... You know, two sided war. Good. Two, yeah. We get a kind of a an idea of what that might have looked at or looked like because this guy, Pyrrhus of Epirus, uh, he decides that to try and, you know, build his his tiny kingdom rather than try and take it out of like the bigger, you know, Greek powers. He looks he looks west and goes, "Hey, Italy. That looks like a place you could maybe establish a kingdom." The stat the state of Italy at the time was that, you know, the Rome and the the Latin powers were really kind of only in what you'd consider like the shin of the boot. The actual foot of of the boot was controlled by by Greek colonies, it was it was called Magna Graecia uh, at the time. It was just a bunch of Greek colonies. They were very, very, very loosely connected, if at all, to Greece proper. Um, but they were, you know, of Greek descent. So um, he invades Latin Italy with war elephants in 280 BC. Oh, that's so badass! Right, and I this used to is feel like first... a war elephant when I had my kid on my shoulders. And this is the first time that Romans have had to deal with war elephants uh, on the field. They've probably a lot of them have never even seen a war elephant. Uh, You just get a bunch of mice. Problem solved. I want want to do a little thought experiment here because like imagine it's like me and you and a couple people from your street and a couple people from my street and we've got you know, swords and we're lined up on one part of one end of a football field. And on the other end is a fucking elephant. How are we feeling? Oh man. Like, <laughs> I just want to go up and pet it. I'm like, I don't want to fight. I just want to, I want to talk to it. I want it to give me can a I hug r- with its trunk. Can I ride the <laughs> elephant? <laughs> well, this isn't fair. Why don't we get elephants? So th- the Romans send uh, an army south to kind of deal with this issue. Uh, they meet at a place called Heracles. Pyrrhus, who's been kind Pyrrhus of... Pyrrhus of Epirus? Pyrrhus of Epirus. He's been kind of told by these people of Magna Graecia that these Romans, they're like barbarians. You don't need to worry about them. You'll be able to come in and deal with them, no problem. But when they show up and, and you know, um, set up across the battlefield, he notices that they're building a camp. And when Romans built camps, imagine, you know, you're thinking of like 
people building like a, a little tent village, and it's much more like people just building a small st- city overnight. Wow. They would build walls around their their fort. Everywhere they went, they would build walls around where they were. They were maybe the most expert wall builders in all of history. Um, and he's looking at this going, huh, that's funny. But, you know, nevertheless, he goes into battle with them the next day. And he does win, but he doesn't have a huge victory. He loses 4,000 of his best troops. And rather than the Romans running away, you know, in terror from this superior military force that came out of nowhere. Remember I said they're very, very stubborn. They just did this kind of orderly retreat. This marks the first time not only that Romans had to deal with elephants, but it also marks the first time that really Romans and Greeks ever had a large-scale battle. They also, Romans, had been in their own little world fighting their own little battles, much like Persia had, much like Greece had. And their way of fighting was very, very similar to the way that Greeks fought, but they had a little bit more mobility in the way that their their legions operated. Someday we'll do an... Oh, sorry. No, you've finished your thought there, and I'll, I'll jump in after. Some I was just going to say, someday we'll do something a little more in-depth about like how they fought, because we are going to probably end up talking about a lot of Roman battles. But let's just say they were like the Greeks, but maybe just a little bit kind of more flexible. So the, one of, I have two questions. The first yeah. question, uh, I've forgotten twice now, but now I remember again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is um, you say that he showed up and he could see them building a camp. Yeah. So Well, they showed up and started building a camp near him, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess I'm used to thinking of war in the 20th century where you see your enemy, you shoot your enemy. Like, if you see them, you shoot them. I guess in the day, they'd just be like, oh, hey, what's up? Uh, yeah, we're going to stay over here, and, and we're going to fight over there, so uh, you're, you're good there where you're setting up your camp. Like, are they just kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah like, tomorrow 9 a.m., we fight, but, uh, you know. Well, because you got to think, if you want to, if you really want to start harassing them while they're building their camp, you, and that does happen, like, you can send a couple cavalry people out to maybe start shooting arrows at them and, and annoy them. But they're going to send their cavalry out against, you know, back out against you. If you really want to get over there, you have to get over there. And they're going to be shooting arrows and javelins and stuff at you the whole time. So you're probably, you're going to be wrong footing yourself. You're probably best off just to like meet in a straight battle. Live and let live. And then just, yeah, tomorrow at 9am we fight. It's like a duel. For sure. Yeah. But with an And there's a lot of, yeah. And there's a lot of um, like strategy involved in picking like when, the two sides are going to fight. There's a lot of like jockeying that the generals try to do about like, well, if I set my army up over here, are you going to set your army up, you know, where I want you to set your army up so that I've got a favorable condition for this battle that's coming up. There's all sorts of stuff like that that happens. There's times where, you know, one army wants to fight and another army doesn't. So the army that wants to fight will, you know, march their army out to the field day after day and just not get challenged. And this will go on for a while. Oh, it was, you know, it was weird. We should do yeah. an episode on that. That would be a lot to kind of. Yeah, I think examples um, of some interesting battles. But before we carry on, yes. I have one burning question I need to know. Uh huh. Did the elephants come from Greece? I didn't think there were elephants in Greece, although I've never really thought about it until 
minutes ago? No, I think they came from Africa. Just like go over to Africa, grab a bunch of Because they had a huge, yeah, they had a huge empire at this point. Float them back on Noah's Ark and off you go. I am pretty sure that much like um, the first time the Romans are dealing with elephants, I'm pretty sure like the Battle of Marathon is the first time that the Greeks are dealing with elephants. And then by the time this happens, they're now using elephants because they've conquered all the way to, you know, everything that Persia had. So now they've got the elephants and they're using them on the Romans. Man, that's so badass, right? <laughs> Having an elephant, for sure. Man. Stampy in The Simpsons. so the next time these guys meet you know like i said he won but not huge so he's gonna have to have another fight against him they meet in this place called Asklum. at this point he employs a strategy that a lot of people try to employ around this age which is to try and peel off some of these roman allies these latin allies but by saying you're gonna give them a better deal so he's he manages to pull some off but not as much as he'd like this is something that happens to Hannibal, too. We are going to talk about Hannibal probably pretty soon, but same thing. You know, his strategy was, by the time I get there and I win a few battles, the Allies are going to be dropped with Romans because they don't like him anyways, and that never really happens. Some do, but a lot don't. But when this fight happens, it winds up being about 40,000 Greeks versus about 40,000 Romans. On the first day, the Romans, you know, have had time to think about this elephant problem, so what they do is they use chariots to kind of race out and use a rope to tie the rope around their feet. Oh, man, this is just like Star Wars with the ad I, I was just going to ask what that the, reminded Was it the ad or the Imperial Walker? I can't remember it's which the Imperial one. Walker. Imperial Walker, yeah. That's the man, Imperial that's Walker's exactly... four legs, right? Ah, uh, man, this is where I, no. I fail my nerdness. No. Yeah, it's the ad I think. Yeah. I think it's the ad yeah, and they tie it up. Yeah. Dude, I... Well, they That's use amazing. ropes on the feet of both, so I think we're actually safe. The Ewoks do tra- do trip one, so we're <laughs> we're we're safe either way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the first day kind of ends in a stalemate, um, which can't be great if you're this guy who's a great general and is thinking you're going to to conquer these savages. The second day, the Greeks do win. Pyrrhus of Epirus does win, but it comes at a pretty high cost. Uh, he's actually congratulated on his victory by one of his generals, and he famously said, one more such victory, and we are undone. Giving rise to the phrase Pyrrhic victory. Have you ever heard that term, Pyrrhic victory? I feel like I have, but uh, I guess that's a victory where you're basically fucked yourself. Yeah, you, the cost of winning is so high that you might as well not have done it at all. Yeah, so, so I, I feel that way about a lot of things in life. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there's two big powers in that area. There's Rome and Carthage, and they decide that having this this Greek uh, king, you know, waging war around the area is not great for them. So they form kind of a temporary alliance to deal with this. They fought a lot as well. Rome they Carthage, did, yes. Yeah, yeah. Rome were... ends up completely destroying Carthage, uh, salting the earth and, and destroying the city uh, in a story that, again, we'll get to someday. Fair enough. Um, so he decides he's going to leave Italy and he's going to head to Sicily. 
He's going to get some gains there, and then maybe he'll come back. And Sicily at the time is held a little bit by the Greeks and a little bit by Carthage. He manages to get to win a lot of stuff in Sicily, but again, not really enough. He's not able to force Carthage completely off the island. So once more, he decides he's going to regroup, but this time he's going to do it back in Italy. While when he tries to land in Italy, he lands in a place called that the, uh, the Romans called Maleventum, which was the place of bad events because they had lost a battle there uh, previously, I think against the Samnites, um, who were a people in the area. But uh, once again, you know, they meet and the Romans lose with an incredible amount of style. Uh, supposedly they use, um, fire arrows and they, they manage to scare an elephant so much that it just like tramples through the front line of the Greeks. Again, they win, Um. but at, at this point, uh, Pyrrhus of Epirus has had enough. He just, he just fucks off. He leaves the entire area. Um, so that, that kind of ends that little conflict and, and kind of the story that I'm, that I wanted to tell here. It's a story of of groups in isolation, you know, meeting each other militarily and how small ways in which they prioritize or, or the environment in which they've had to develop their army can lead to these really big imbalances. You know, when, when push came to shove finally between Persia and Greece, the Greece mop up the Persians pretty handily. You know, this is the... This is the push for the Romans, but within a hundred years, the Greeks are going to be entirely under Roman rule. And it won't even be hard for the Romans to do it. By the time they decide that they're going to take control of Greece, it's almost an afterthought of the Carthaginian War. Um, Pyrrhus does go back and he fights many, many wars after this. Uh, but he, he dies like kind of a chump. Uh, he was involved in a an urban fight. Apparently he got cornered by this, by this soldier. And the soldier's mother was in a building above and the, the mom threw a tile off the top of the roof and bonked him in the head. And that was uh, it for him. <laughs> he got, geez. Thanks he mom. Got, yeah. He got Get killed back by an in old here. lady. The streetlights are coming on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's uh that's what I had for you today. Wow, that's very fascinating. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to like think about it. you visualize these battles and like in my head I'm seeing just like this sea of men with all these like elephants and stuff when in reality it could have been like 10 elephants. Yeah, uh, I'd be curious to know like like what are we talking like 4 4000 men and then like 100 elephants and like this whole thing's just coming at you like I mean that's scary. Those are the sort of details that a well-prepared, well-researched podcast might have. <laughs> but that's not There's what we a bring lot to of the those table. Out there. That's not what this is. <laughs> no, we provide a trailhead, and then you want you <laughs> yeah. want to know. You go do the research. <laughs> yeah, you let us know too, and we'll use it for another episode. We'll yeah. recycle our material, just like Persia Inc. 2.0. Yeah, well, I kind of like the these Roman episodes because back. <laughs> because we can establish like uh, sort of a long. Um, long form kind of timeline of events and then at any time like any of this stuff is is an episode all of its own that you could you know if you really want to get into the granular detail yeah just, for uh, sure 
It's a thousand, thousand foot view. view. Exactly. Oh, ah! Jinx, you owe me a Coke. I owe you nothing. <laughs> well, I do owe you a Kev's closing fact. Yeah, you and do. And that is a fact in and of itself. So here's your second fact. All right. Well, do you, okay. Going back to our whole dog thing. Okay. Yeah. You know what a group of dogs is called. It's called a pack. Yes. Do you know what a group of cat called? A fuck off? I don't know. No. A clouder. A clouder of cats? A clouder of cats. Or as Mayor Quimby's nephew would say, clouder. (laughs) (laughs) Say it, Frenchie. Well, well, that's it for us. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.